Hello, welcome back to another edition of the Wrestling Highlights of the Week, presented by My Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. I am G2. I am here to bring you Wrestling Highlights of the Week for Raw, SmackDown, NXT, AEW Dynamite, AEW Rampage, and Impact Wrestling. But again, no Impact Wrestling for you this week. Uh, this will be the final week that Impact Wrestling will be doing their whole uh, recapping before they do their whole final rebrand for TNA Wrestling. And next week, we should be getting back to some TNA Wrestling actual shows. So, hopefully, I'll have something to talk to you guys about with TNA, especially with their uh, event, Hard to Kill, happening tonight. So, hopefully, next week, I'll be talking to you about the event and TNA as a whole rebrand coming back. So, with that out of the way, let's start the show. So, we start with Monday Night Raw. Monday Night Raw would open up with Drew McIntyre being in the middle of the ring. And Drew is out here. He's a little bit saddened because he lost his shot at the World Heavyweight Championship to Seth Rawls last week. Drew would mention that. And Drew would say that he's probably been thinking over what Sami Zayn, Seth Rawls, has been saying. That the only person that's holding him back is himself. And if that's the case, he has to step back from WWE and get his priorities right. But then he would quickly switch up and say that's not all the way true because Damian Priest tried to cash in the Money in the Bank last week, which cost him the match. And Drew would say to Priest, why didn't you just wait until I won the match last week? I would be weakened. You cash it in. You probably become champion. Now you screwed not just yourself, but me out of that World Heavyweight Championship. And he calls Priest an idiot. Drew would then go on to talk about things that has been messing with his mind for the past couple I'll say months. He mentions Cody. He mentions Jay Uso. He mentions Seth. He mentions Priest. He even mentions CM Punk. CM Punk being the last because he talks about how Punk comes back and he's been away from WWE for nine years and he comes back with a big open arm welcome from everyone. And with saying Punk's name, out walks CM Punk. Punk would get a microphone and he would grandstand for the people in attendance because they're in Roddy Roddy Piper country. And he would tell Drew, you know what? I'm going to sit back and I'm going to listen to you because if you have anything to say to me, I'd rather you say it to my face. So, Drew has the open floor. Drew will congratulate Punk for lasting a month so far in WWE. And he would say that you are costing people a lot of money backstage because we have a bet to see how long you'll implode. Uh, Getting off of the funniness, he would get into some serious business saying that whenever Punk was around here his first time go, Punk was quote-unquote the locker room leader. And that Drew was going through some dark times. He mentions how he lost uh, an important member in his life. How he wasn't doing good in his business life, meaning WWE. And that he was looking for someone. He couldn't go to Randy because Randy was dealing with his own personal demons. But with Punk being straight edge, Punk wasn't there for Drew. And Drew has taken some, he's taken some anger towards that. But now with Drew being back, he's grown up being muscular up he no longer needs any more guidance as a matter of fact he's now the leader so you get this vantage point from drew and he calls punk a demon so with him saying that punk would retort punk will say you know what i've called myself many things but leader i've never done that i've always displayed leader acts but i never will call myself a leader and he does kind of placate to Drew, saying, hey, if you need someone to hold your hands and take you down the path of straight edge, we can shave your head here, and we can do that right now. You can join straight edge society if you want. And again, that's Punk placating to Drew. But then he talks some serious business, saying that, you know what, 
I follow your path coming back here. You know what? You display leader qualities because when you left from WWE, you got fired. I was already gone. And when I saw you come back and show how you were big and strong and coming back here, I follow your path and coming back here. And I just want to do the exact same things. You came here. You won the Royal Rumble. You main event WrestleMania. You won your championship. I just want to follow your lead in that. And he mentions how he's a nice guy. Punk is a nice guy. He's not a demon. He's saying himself when he's pushed that way. And he tells Drew point blank, I'm starting to get tired of being talked to in a certain light. So we're about to see Demon Punk within another couple of people keep on pushing him that way. And he lays it out point blank. The Royal Rumble is going to happen. He knows that Drew's in it and he doesn't care who's in his way, whether it's McIntyre, Cody, nobody's going to stop him from winning the Royal Rumble. But he does tell Drew this thing, that in the Royal Rumble, Drew McIntyre will be the last person that CM Punk tosses out before he wins the Royal Rumble. So Punk will leave, and that's the end of this back and forth between Drew and Punk. I like that. It opened up Raw. We finally get down to the reason why Drew has been upset with Punk since Punk came back. Punk, he's finally getting tired of people just speaking to him type of way. And we're finally starting to see a little bit of no longer PG Punk, but a little bit of that attitude-ish Punk that everybody loved when he finally dropped the whole freaking pipe bomb all those years ago. So I'm glad we got that out of Punk and Drew. And again, this just builds more... Um, it builds more curiosity to see who's going to win the Royal Rumble when the Royal Rumble time comes. Now, we get off of that, we get to our first match of the night. We have Finn Balor going against Tommaso Ciampa. Finn Balor will be out here with Damian Priest. Ciampa will be out here with Johnny Gargano. Uh, Tommaso Ciampa would win the match by pinfall when Finn looks to suplex Ciampa into the ring, but Gargano will sweep the legs of Finn, and that's how Ciampa will get the win. Now, the reason why Gargano would even get himself involved in this match because Damian Priest would get himself involved. Priest would uh, get in the, well, get on the ring apron, distract the referee when Ciampa would try to perform a move on Finn. That's when Gargano would go over. You see uh, Priest grab Gargano up, trying to hit him with the crucifix uh, powerbomb, or better known as the Razor's Edge. Gargano would slip out of it. Ciampa would hit him with a running knee off the apron. So that's the reason why Gargano would interfere. But now this gives DIY one more step closer to facing off against Judgment Day for the tag team titles. Now, after this, we go into our next matchup. We have Kofi Kingston going against Ludwig Kaiser. Uh, this match will go into a double countout because both men were fighting so much on the outside of the ring that they didn't notice uh, the referee was counting. And once Kofi tried to slide back in, it was already too late. It was at the count of 10. Now, after the match, you see Kofi Kingston and Ludwig Kaiser continue to fight more uh, Kingston, he would hit a suicide dive on Ludwig Kaiser outside the ring. Uh, he would pick Kaiser up, start punching him some more until Kaiser would start thumbing Kofi in the eye. And I thought this was a long time of him just gouging the eye of Kofi because usually they give him like a good one, two, three, and then like the evil wrestler will always get off the uh, good guy wrestler's eye. But no, Kaiser kept on Kofi's eye, which I thought, okay, this is different. They're, they're setting up for something. Then you see backstage officials running down, separating uh, Kaiser away from Kofi, and Kaiser moves away. Kofi tries to get back at Kaiser. You see them continue fighting some more. Then you see Ludwig Kaiser literally grab, I believe it was uh, Wade Barrett's chair, and chuck it right at Kofi's head, hitting Kofi right in the head. This would knock Kofi down. Uh, Kaiser would grab Kofi, start punching on him, choking him some more until he puts him on the uh, ring steps. Now you still have the agents and referees 
trying to get Ludwig Kaiser off of Kofi. Ludwig Kaiser, he would play innocent to and he'd be like, all right, I'm moving away. He'll start moving away from Kofi, and then when he gets enough distance, he outruns the agents and refs to run back and dropkick Kofi's head next to the steel steps, and this would take Kofi out. Now, the reason why Ludwig Kaiser does this is because last week, Kofi Kingston uh, knocked out Giovanni Vinci in their tag matchup, which ended their tag team matchup, and that's the reason why uh, Giovanni Vinci wasn't here on Monday Night Raw, and you even have Ludwig Kaiser cutting a promo after this in the backstage area, kind of confirming why he attacked Kofi Kingston the way that he did. So it's an eye for an eye type of situation. So with Kaiser being the only person representing Imperium here, that's why he had to stand up for Imperium against Kofi in this matter. Now with Gunther coming back next week, we'll probably see Gunther probably pack Ludwig Kaiser on the back, but we'll have to save all that for next week on Monday Night Raw. And we'll probably even get Xavier Woods popping up to uh, talk for his good friend Kofi. But that's all ideas for next week on Raw. Now, after this, we have Michael Cole interviewing Nia Jax in the middle of the ring since Nia broke Becky last week and won her match. She talks about how she's going to go to the Royal Rumble, win the Royal Rumble and main event WrestleMania, and there's nobody that can stop her, and then enter the world's uh, woman's champion, Rhea Ripley. Rhea Ripley gets a big ovation. I don't know when they're going to do it, but some way, somehow, they got to turn Rhea Ripley, uh, at least babyface, good guy. Because Rhea Ripley, as a bad guy, I don't see that really playing a factor anymore. People love her too much for them to uh, boo her. Rhea Ripley is constantly getting cheered. So whenever they want to decide to pull the trigger, it's ready. Uh, But getting back to the point, Rhea gets in Nia's face. Rhea tells Nia that she tossed a big game. Like, she's already running the Royal Rumble, but Rhea Ripley was the one that eliminated her last year, and that she could beat Becky Lynch, but Becky Lynch isn't Rhea Bloody Ripley. And Nia better stop acting like she runs the division because Rhea runs that division. Nia does give credit to Rhea becoming the most dominant champion in the history of that woman's division, but she tells Rhea that she needs to watch out because once she came back to this company, Rhea forgets that Nia was the one that put Rhea on her butt. So you get this nice little dynamic between Nia Jax and Rhea Ripley because Rhea does see Nia as a threat because Nia could win the Royal Rumble and challenge Rhea for the championship. And there's a slight possibility that Nia could take the title off of Rhea. So once you get this done with this confrontation, you see in Rhea's face, she doesn't have that confident looking face that she usually has when she talks to her other challengers. She actually does have a little bit of a, not going to say a worried face, but like not too much confidence. So, we get away from that, we go to the next match, and it's for the WWE Women's Tag Team Championships, we have the champions, Katana Chance and uh, Katie Carter, putting up the tag titles against Chelsea Green and Piper Niven, the former tag champions, uh, Katana Chance and Katie Carter would retain their titles by hitting the cake stand on Chelsea Green to retain the tag team titles, great match, the crowd was into this matchup, um, I don't think anybody thought the tag team titles were going to switch hands, but I did like this in the matchup. They would go periodically and show the women's division backstage watching the tag team matchup real intensely because it gave everybody at least the outside look that the women's division does care about these tag team titles and that you see them, uh, the possibility of other tag teams literally going after those titles. And again, the tag team division, whether it be men and or women, I do care about because tag team wrestling is one of the greatest forms of wrestling in general. 
So I'm glad that they are putting a lot of emphasis on those tag team titles and for Katana Chance and Katie Carter to um, continue holding on to the tag team titles is a good thing because they are actually a tag team, not just two people put together like a Chelsea Green and Piper Niven. I'm glad for that. And hopefully uh, Katana and Katie constantly get to hold on to those tag team titles going more into the future. Now, next up, we have J.D. McDonough going against The Miz. But before that, we would have our truth uh, video. In our truth, he does a mockumentary of his life, and he talks about how whenever he was a little baby boy, he talked to the doctor and say how he would one day be a part of the Judgment Day. And again, this is a funny thing that we get from R-Truth. R-Truth thinks he's a part of the Judgment Day. He's not. And after we get this whole little funny mock-up video being played, we go backstage, we see Judgment Day in their little clubhouse. You see JD upset. You see Dom not really caring too much about it. Rhea Ripley being on the side with Dom. Finn holding his face with an ice pack. Damian Priest kind of laughing at it. And JD, he is the only person legitimately upset at truth, saying that he's not in Judgment Day. When are we going to take care of this? Priest will have to tell JD, hey, calm down. Relax. It's just fun and games. Truth's all right for now. So you see JD go out. Rhea would tell Priest, hey, we do have to kind of get done with this because truth isn't a part of the Judgment Day. Priest would tell Rhea, listen, I'll handle truth when the time comes. But then he shots back at Rhea and said, do you think it was a good idea to make an enemy out of Nia Jax? And Rhea would say, I'll handle that whenever that time comes. So you see, again, the dynamics between Rhea Ripley and Damian Priest play a factor. And also, I forgot, Priest did mention how Drew cost him the chance to become World Heavyweight Champion last week. Rhea did tell Priest not to worry about Drew. We shouldn't make Drew an enemy. That's whenever Priest told Rhea about Nia and how are you sure making Nia an enemy. So again, as I said, you get the whole dynamic between Rhea and Priest. And you know, one day down the line, probably even sooner rather than later, we're going to get Priest and Rhea coming to a butting of heads in the whole Judgment Day. Probably going to turn on Priest because Priest is a guy that's kind of liking Truth doing his whole business. And again, I see Priest as being the guy that could get kicked out of the Judgment Day. But we'll have to wait and see whenever that uh, comes to fruition. Now, as I said, moving on to this next match, we have J.D. and McDonough going against uh, The Miz. J.D. will come out with Dominic Mysterio. Miz in his corner will be quasi-truth because truth is still kind of wearing the Judgment Day t-shirt and we still got the whole, you're not in Judgment Day, I'm in Judgment Day type of business with truth. In the end, The Miz would win when he would hit uh, J.D. McDonough with a skull crush finale to win the matchup. After the match, we go backstage again. Rhea's pissed. Finn is pissed. Now you see Priest, he's pissed. And he tells, all right, cool, I'll handle this. We'll get all this figured out. And we get a match set up for next week. Next week, we would have uh, Awesome Truth going against Priest and Finn, while DIY would be going against J.D. McDonough and uh, Dominic Mysterio. So that's what we have set up for next week. So Judgment Day as a whole collective are having separate matches next week to kind of handle each other's business. Now, after this, we get the World Heavyweight Champion, Seth Rollins, coming down to the ring. Seth will talk about WrestleMania, how his record has been pretty good, but he's never been on the marquee build. He's never been a world champion going into Mania. He's never been that fighting workhorse-style champion, and he asks who he's going to defeat at Mania. You hear the crowd kind of chant CM Punk here and there, and Seth would say, in his dreams, 
So again, you get this little layers of Seth and Punk business, and we know we're going to get that at Mania. Again, it's just the ride that we just got to figure out the tips and turns that we got to get to get to that uh, finish line. But anyway, after that, we get Jinder Mahal, former WWE champion, coming down to the ring. And this is the second time Jinder Mahal is a part of something big. Jinder comes out here. He runs down Seth, calling him a clown from him dressing the way that he dresses, not carrying the World Heavyweight Championship to a level that he's supposed to be carrying it to away, saying that he throws temper tantrums when the show goes off, hearkening back to the Survivor Series when Punk came back just a couple months ago. Uh, he says that Seth's basically running away from him. He's running away from a challenge like Jinder Mahal, and that he's planning on trying to uh, humble Seth. Seth would admit that Jinder Mahal is right. He has been kind of overlooking gender, kind of sidestepping gender, because nobody wants to see gender, especially since last week The Rock kind of put him in the ground, buried him a little bit. But he does admit that Jinder Mahal coming back last week after The Rock kind of humbled him does show that Jinder Mahal has something. But he doesn't respect gender for ruining the party out here and getting in his face, so he gives gender opportunity to take a swing on him. Gender doesn't take it head on. But when Seth turns his back, Jinder would attack him. And now you get Seth and Jinder going back and forth from one another. Seth would super kick Jinder, looking to hit him with a stomp. Jinder would slide out of the ring. And that's the end of this, because it was set up for next week's matchup between Jinder Mahal and Seth Rollins for the World Heavyweight Championship. So Jinder Mahal has literally came out of nowhere, get into a nice little back and forth situation with The Rock last week. He becomes number one contender for the World Heavyweight Championship this week, and he phases off for the title next week, Jinder Mahal has had a straight solid, I'm going to say straight solid three weeks. I'm including next week included. So he's been having a solid three weeks. That's crazy. I don't think nobody expected Jinder Mahal to have that, but hey, man, when you're a former WWE champion and they put you in this spot for Jinder, I think Jinder's going to hit it out of the park next week with Seth for the World Championship, but uh, we'll just have to wait and see with that. Now, next up, we had Ivar going against Otis. Ivar will be out here with Valhalla. But Otis will be out here with Akira Tozawa and Maxine Dupree. Ivar would win the match by pinfall, hitting a moonsault on Otis. This was two big guys going at it with each other. Uh, you know what? There was a part in this matchup where um, Ivar would look to hit a springboard move, but Otis would catch him and hit the world's strongest slam. And that's something that you don't see when, you, again, you got two big guys. A guy like Ivar, he shouldn't be hitting a springboard. And... When you see him do it, and Otis catches him, and he hits a World Strongest Slam, you think, oh my god, again, this isn't something that you see. So, this should show you that this generation of big men are just different, but Ivar winning, again, wasn't surprising. Otis, he's part of Alpha Academy, the kind of the comedy little shtick here, when they get serious, they can get serious. Ivar, they're trying to see they can push Ivar into a different factor, and Ivar getting this win, it just kind of gets them to continue climbing up. The ranks for whatever they want to do with him. Now we go off to our main event. We get Cody Rose going against Shinsuke Nakamura, and they turn this into a street fight because of Shinsuke and Cody's constantly having beef with one another, and Cody uh, getting attacked by Nakamura earlier in the night. So that's the reason why we turn this regular one-on-one matchup into a street fight. Uh, Cody would win the match by pinfall, hitting a crossroads on Shinsuke Nakamura to win the match. The weapons that were included in this were uh, a candlestick. A broomstick, nunchucks, uh, two tables. I think that's about it. Oh, yeah, Nakamura, he did try to miss 
Cody in the face, but Cody would duck it, and Nakamura would hit uh, one of the production people with the miss. Um, anything else I'm missing on this? No. Um, Nakamura and Cody, solid match to end Monday Night Raw. I don't think anybody thought that Cody was going to lose to Nakamura. People did have a question to say, okay, why are we constantly putting Nakamura and Drew McIntyre in these type of matches only for them to lose? For these two guys that keep on talking crap, but they end up losing, why do we do that? Uh, they're the villains. WWE is a good guy-esque type of companies. Um, they have the bad guys usually run down the good guys to the good guys, kind of run up them and kind of get their comeuppance. That's kind of always been WWE's kind of uh, calling cards, especially in the main event settings. Um, Nakamura, he did his part. He did his job. Cody, he did his part. He did his job. So hopefully now we end this off and we got, what, two more weeks until the Rumble? So now this will probably have a little moment with Cody and Nakamura in the Royal Rumble for them to have a stare down. But other than that, I think this little mini feud is kind of done. I think we're just going to get Cody next week cutting a couple promo on somebody or even winning the Rumble, and then somebody else is going to come out saying they're going to win the Rumble. Probably someone like a Gunther maybe on Cody next week. But again, we'll have to wait and see with that. But a solid match to Monday Night Raw between Shinsuke Nakamura and Cody Rose in a street fight. Nothing bad for me to say. Now, off to NXT. This will be the beginning of the Dusty Rose Tag Team Classic on NXT. But before I get to that, the first thing that we will start off with is Blair Devonport going against Nikita Lyons. This match kind of would start off uh, in the parking lot, then move into the arena. Uh, Blair Devonport, she would win the match by pinfall. Hitting the Kamagoye, which people don't know, is when uh, Blair Devonport holds her opponent's two arms, bring them in. Uh, close to her, and then she hits him with a knee directly to the jaw and covers him for the win. Uh, Blair beats Nikita Lyons. This has their little feud that's been going on for, I'll say, a month, but it dredges back months later when Blair Davenport was under a black mask attacking people in the parking lot, and this is what had Nikita Lyons get took out by Blair a couple months ago. So, with them running this back here, Blair getting the win over Nikita Lyons, I don't think it's over. I think this is just the beginning between those two. I think they're going to have some type of gimmicky type of match in the feud. So this is just a nice way to start it off with them actually having a legit match. Probably a parking lot brawl. Do that to end the rivalry. So I just gave out a free idea there. Nikita Lyons versus Blair Davenport. Whenever you got the time for it, parking lot brawl, do it. But solid matchup to open up NXT. Now, I mentioned the Dusty Rose Tag Team Classic. Um, the teams that are in this Dusty Rose Tag Team Classic are Baron Corbin, Braun Breaker, Gallus, uh, Nathan Frazier, and Axiom, Hank Walker, Tank Ledger, um, uh, God, Chase U, LWO, and then the final spot will go to Carmelo Hayes and Trick Williams. Carmelo will tell Trick this backstage, he will tell Trick that he pulled a couple strings to get them the final spot in the Dusty Rose Tag Team Classic, Trick. At this point, he isn't feeling Carmelo because he still want to get himself focused right for the NXT Championship opportunity with Ilya Dragunov comes back. Carmelo tells Trick, hey, dog, I get it, but listen, we don't know when Ilya's going to come back. You don't know when you're getting that shot, but listen, we're going to keep you straight and focused. We're going to keep your mind center right. We're going to keep you still doing reps, and we're going to win the Dusty Rose Tag Team Classics. We're going to win the Tag Team titles. I'm going to become a Triple Crown Champion. You're going to become a two- title trick and that's all it is and that's all it's going to be so trick he's filling it he dabs it up with carmelo and that's it 
Carmelo, in my opinion, he manipulated the mess out of Trick in this. Because at the beginning, Trick wasn't with it. But as Melo just uses his words to kind of sweet talk Trick, he got him to fall in line and do basically what he wanted. So Melo's manipulating Trick. He's getting him to be in the spotlight yet again. Melo can't stand not being in the spotlight and seeing Trick just kind of shine off. And that's insane, but that's what partnerships and kind of some friendships are. Whenever you're always demanding the spotlight, and then your wingman or your side guy over here is getting the spotlight, putting on him, you kind of feel jealous. And that's what Melo has for Trick Williams, jealousy. But we'll wait and see how that happens uh, with their match next week, because Melo and Trick will be going against Idris, Anafi, and Malik Blade in the Dusty Tag Team Classic, and also the LWO will be going against Chase U next week. But the first match of the Dusty Road Tag Team Classic would be Baron Corbin and Braun Breaker going against Gallus' Mark Coffey and Wolfgang. Baron Corbin and Braun would advance to the semifinals when they would hit a end of days. Uh, I believe Baron Corbin would hit end of days on uh, Mark Coffey, while Wolfgang would get hit with a spear by Braun Breaker to win the match. Again, two guys who singles competitors coming together for one common uh, goal to win the tag team titles because they're basically bad guys and nobody likes them. That wins the match here. Barry Corbin, this is his, what, second time doing this. He mentions whenever they win the match, they go over to the trophy. He points over to the first time this uh, tournament happened and he points at the winners, which were Finn Balor and Samoa Joe. He says, I was the finalist for that. I didn't get the job done. And he points at 2024 placement. And he says, I'm going to win here. So you get Baron and Braun both agreeing to still be together to win this tournament to go after the NXT Tag Team titles. Great match between uh, Corbin and Gallus and Braun. Hopefully we can see more out of uh, Gallus in the future for NXT as a legit tag team. And maybe even go to the main roster, because I do like Gallus as a whole unit, but we'll have to wait and see with that. But Barry Corbin, Braun Breaker, not a bad showing as a tag team here. Now, after this, we get a video of Tiffany Stratton uh, going off to Fallon Henley's ranch. And it's exactly what you expect. Tiffany Stratton, she comes out in all pink outfit, pink uh, bikini top, pink kind of skirt, uh, pink sparkly type boots, pink cowboy hat, and you just see Fallon kind of looking at Tiffany like, are you seriously going to wear that? Tiffany will say, yep. So you see Fallon put Tiffany through a lot of uh, hardship, kind of like shoveling out the horse stables, doing other kind of tasks, and you just see uh, Tiffany like not really wanting to do it, but she's a woman of her word. She lost the match, lost the bet. So you see her doing all these tasking, getting dirty, she kind of freaking out a little bit, and ultimately, she does it, she tells Fallon that she did all of Fallon's tasks, I can't believe that you enjoy this type of work, yada, 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 and she ends up stepping into a horse crap, and falling into a, like, thing of water, and start freaking out, so do I think Tiffany and Fallon are done with their little tiff? No, I think they're gonna build into that a little bit more, probably into a thing that gets them to culminate into some type of respect between Fallon and Tiffany somewhere down the line, probably in the next couple of months because they got to build it to uh, NXT Vengeance Day. So I expect that somewhere, but we'll wait and see where it takes them. Now, after that, we will get to the NXT Women's Champion, Lyra Valkyria, uh, coming to the ring. 
She talks about her match last week with Blair Davenport, giving it up to Blair for those two having a nice matchup last week, but she's still out here in NXT Women's Champion. She would let everyone know that next week there will be a battle royale to determine who's going to be facing her at Vengeance Day for the NXT Women's Championship. And it goes like this. The battle royal will happen. It's a 20-woman battle royal. And the last four women in that battle royal will compete in a fatal four-way match. And the winner of that fatal four-way match will become the number one contender for the NXT Women's Championship. Now, with that all laid out, we would get Lola Vice and Electra Lopez coming down to the ring. Lola Vice, who is the women's NXT breakout tournament winner, meaning that she could cash in for an NXT Women's Championship opportunity anytime she feels like it. Lola would remind Lyra that the only reason that Lyra is still the NXT Women's Champion is because Tatum Paxley stopped Lola from cashing in on Lyra last week. Now, Lyra, she would clap back at Lola saying that she wants the Lola Vice that isn't shaking her butt on Instagram. She wants the Lola Vice, the cage fighter. She wants the Lola Vice that people actually like to see in the ring. Lola Vice would kind of get back at Lyra, saying that everyone does love her, but she can't help it, and that the people are sheep who follow her every moves, and she can't blame them for loving her Latina heat. Lyra would say the only person that has Latina heat is coming from Electra Lopez, who kind of helped put Gata del Fantasma all together, and doesn't know that Lola isn't going to cash in that championship for the NXT or the WWE Women's Tag Team Championship. That Lola Vice is basically going to be selfish and cash in for the Women's Championship. So, Lyra will say, let's make it easy. Let's have a title match right now. You hear her call for a referee. A ref will start coming down to the ring. You see Alexa Lopez punch Lyra. And now you got a 2-1 beat down. Lola and Electra beating up on Lyra. Until Tatum Paxley comes down to even the numbers. And now you see both four women... Just start getting at one another. Uh, the referees will come out to separate. And you see Electra Lopez and Lola Vice like, leave the ring as Tatum and Lyra are still in the middle of the ring. And this will set up for our next week's tag matchup between all four of the ladies. Lola and Electra going against Lyra and Tatum. And again, we still do not know why Tatum constantly saves Lyra's bacon. We still have no idea. I want to know. Hopefully we'll get an explanation. That's what I'm hoping for. Uh, after this, we would get a one-on-one matchup between Josh Briggs going against Oral Mensa. Oral Mensa will have Metaphor in his corner. Josh Briggs would win by hitting a clothesline from hell onto Oral Mensa to win the match. Uh, typical business, Metaphor would try to interfere, but it wouldn't help. Josh Briggs beats Oral Mensa, as I said, and it seems that he's on a track to try to win that uh, NXT Heritage Cup from uh, Noam Dar, so that's the way we're going with that. I'm cool with it, and I like how Josh Briggs has adapted the clothesline from hell because he was one of the guys that JBL picked to go into the Iron Survivor challenge matchup. So with Josh Briggs kind of adapting the clothesline from hell from a guy like JBL, it fits him because he's a big guy. Why not do it? And also, take the move. Why not? Um... By the way, I forgot to mention, Dragon Lee, he comes back, he's backstage, he talks with Ava Rain, he talks about how his uh, visa stuff has been worked out, and before he even mentioned about the NXT uh, North American Championship kind of being defended in an open challenge, out would walk next to him, Lexus King. Lexus King, he would have a folder in his hand, he would talk about 
I'm glad that you're back here. I'm glad that you're back with that North American Championship. So I guess that the North American uh, Championship Open Challenge is a thing still. And you see him give Dragon Lee the folder, say, hey, man, I already put up a contract so you can sign it. You see Dragon Lee say, I'm not afraid of nobody. He signs the contract. It sets it up for the main event. So we got in the main event of NXT, the NXT North American Championship being defended by Dragon Lee against Lexus King. Now, Lexus King, he would interrupt an interview that Oro, not Oro, God, Obafemi, the NXT men breakout tournament winner, would have because Obafemi, he was asked, when's he going to cash in that briefcase? No, not the briefcase. God, it's not a briefcase. It's a folder. Keep on forgetting these things. Uh, cash in the folder for his shot to go after any championship that he feels like, whether it be the NXT championship or the NXT North America championship. And as I said, Alexis King, he would interfere in that. He would uh, tell Oba, listen, big man, I see you as the next NXT champion. I can see it now while I become the NXT North America champion. And he just walks away from that. Oba Femi would look at the interviewer and said, that match that he has for the North America championship, that's in the main event, right? She says, yeah. So that kind of adds a question mark. Is Obafemi going to interfere in that? What's going to happen? You'll just have to wait and see what happens at the main event. Now, after this, we get to our next championship matchup. We have the D'Angelo family, which is uh, held by Tony D'Angelo and Channing Stacks Lorenzo, defending the championships against Out of the Mud, which is represented by Bronco Nima and Lucian Price with Scripps or Reggie in their corner. Uh, D'Angelo family, they will retain an NXT tag team championships by pinfall when Tony D'Angelo would hit a Fisherman Buster or better known as a Perfect Plex onto Lucian Price to retain the NXT championships. And just like the WWE Women's Tag Team Championship match that happened on Raw, I don't think anybody expected the NXT Tag Team titles to be changed on NXT. I think everybody expected the champions to retain their titles. Um, OTM, they haven't went through enough adversity to win the tag team titles yet. So for the family to retain the titles, it kind of made sense. And also you had the newest addition of the family. I believe her name is Andriana Rizzo. Kind of interfere and make sure that uh, Scripps or Reggie didn't like cost her tag team the championships. It plays a part because now you got a female piece included into the D'Angelo family making sure that they don't lose. That's a nice addition. Now, after this, OTM would get a new piece added to their crew because you see them walking backstage into the parking lot and you see them stop by Jada Parker. Jada Parker, who's new to the NXT roster, she kind of made her debut during the NXT Women's Breakout Tournament. She would say how OTM didn't see this was a setup by the family and how OTM's playing uh, the family's game in that they need a female on their side to kind of even out the numbers and she would volunteer herself to be a part of OTM and kind of be that female member. So you see now OTM now has Jada Parker and I like that they are doing this type of thing. It seems like we're going the streets route with OTM going against the family because the family is kind of the whole Italian style gimmick, the whole mobster situation while OTM is like the streets, the hood type of thing. And NXT, they can get away with this type of stuff because it's still developmental. You got to craft your character and all this type of stuff. But I don't think this is going to work on the main roster. I think the Italian stuff is going to work. I don't think they're going to really 
pull OTM up to the main roster like the way they're doing now. Again, the only way I can see them doing it is if they craft this gimmick so well that it is undeniable. So hopefully OTM can get it right and get it done. So when they go to the main roster, they don't have this stripped away from them. That's what I'm hoping for for them. But again, I think the family, they'll be straight. I think they're going to have them be set right on up with this type of uh, gimmick. But now in NXT, as I said, OTM going against the family. I like where this is going. Again, the street versus street. We'll have to wait and see what happens uh, later down the line. Next matchup, we have Core Jade going against Gigi Dolan. Core Jade would win the match by hitting a butterfly DDT, better known as Underhook or Dirty Deeds uh, DDT, onto Gigi Dolan to win the match. Hopefully that puts an end to this little thing that they have between Cora Jade and Gigi Dolan. That was what I'm hoping for because Cora Jade, I hope that she wins the uh, Battle Royal going into the Fatal 4-Way matchup. I hope that she does or at least she comes up close because I think they're trying to put Cora Jade in that picture. I think they're trying to probably save her for stand and deliver. But if she ends up becoming the runner-up, this gives her some validity to kind of complain and uh, do everything next week leading up to Stand and Deliver where I believe she will be winning the NXT Women's Championship. Again, that's just my thoughts. We'll have to wait and see what happens, but I hope that this uh, thing between Cora Jade and Gigi Dolan is kind of over. Now, next after this, we continue into the Dusty Rose Tag Team Classic. We have Axiom and Nathan Frazier going against Hank Walker and Tank Ledger. Axiom and Nathan Frazier win the match by pinfall when Nathan would hit Hank Walker with a Phoenix Splash for the win. So, Axiom and Nathan will be going against Baron Corbin and Braun Breaker. Not next week, but probably the week after that to follow, two weeks from now. Um, cool matchup. You know, the funny thing is, Axiom and Nathan Frazier, they're not a tag team. And they advance. Braun Breaker and Baron Corbin, they're not a tag team. They're advanced. Again, there's two people coming together to accomplish a goal. And again, this is gives the tag team division something to do. Because the tag teams that are actual teams, it gives them some stuff that they got to overcome to uh, some adversity to overdo to make sure that they get better down the line. Hank Walker, Tank Ledger, they haven't been on NXT television that much. Um, so hopefully they get some, they add this into their repertoire, into their story of how they went through the mud to come out on top to be a Credible contenders for the NXT Tag Team titles. That's what I'm hoping for them. But Axiom and Nathan Frazier, I want to see what they do against Braun Breaker and uh, Baron Corbin. Because you get a very, very contrast in styles. Nathan Frazier and Axiom, they're real, real high-paced, high-flyer type of guys. While Baron Corbin and Braun Breaker, more Baron Corbin is more of a striker type thing. Braun Breaker, he can do everything. If he wants to do high flying, he can do that when he wants to. If he wants to do the power game, he can do that. If he wants to do speed, boy, he can do speed. He can do it. I mean, he's just a hybrid of things. So, again, that tag team matchup of Axiom and Nathan Frazier going against Corbin and Breaker, that's going to be good when that uh, eventually happens in another, I believe, two weeks. Now, we move to the main event for the NXT North American Championship. Dragon Lee going against Lexus King. Dragon Lee, he would retain his North American Championship by pinfall by hitting Dragon's Quest, or better known as Dustino, on Nathan, well, not Nathan, God, Lexus King, to retain the NXT North American Championship. Uh, solid match between the two. Lexus King, he gets a lot of hate and a lot of slander, I think, because his character is kind of cringe compared to his former counterparts, uh, Julia Hart and Griff Garrison. I think 
that's the reason why people don't like Lexus King and his character type business. But you can't say the man can't wrestle in the ring because he actually can wrestle in the match that he had with Dragon Lee can prove it and does prove it. So again, I don't understand all the hate that he gets, but a to each your own. Um, again, solid tag match. Dragon Lee retains his North American Championship. But after that, we get Obafemi. He comes down. He has the contract in his hands. He starts telling the referee, I'm cashing it in. I want a shot at that North American Championship. The announcer uh, reads it out. And then you see Dragon Lee just rush off with Obafemi outside of the ring. Hit him with a suicide dive. Get Obafemi into the ring. And you see him trying to just combat Obafemi, trying to weaken the big man. And he does for a little bit. Until Obafemi catches him, throws him into the air slams him and you see uh dragon lee he goes for i believe dragon quest but obafemi he would catch him turn that into his uh elevated power bomb power bomb dragon lee cover him to become your new nxt north american champion so obafemi does that he is the youngest nxt north american champion at the age of 22 and congratulations to obafemi now my thing and again, this is not me nitpicking over Femi. This is me, me nitpicking on the whole contract for the North American Championship. We had that with uh, huh, Carmelo Hayes doing that. I believe in, it was, what, 2021, I believe. He did that then. And I wasn't too cool on that idea then. Now we have it now with Obafemi doing it here in 2024 for the North American Championship, both times for North American Championship, I am questioning why do we not go after the NXT Championship? Why not have Obafemi hold on to it until he can go after the NXT Championship? Now, people might say, well, the reason why is because Obafemi, he's too inexperienced. That's the reason why he's not going after the NXT Championship. But isn't that the reason why NXT is NXT? You have developmental, developmental for a reason. People like Obafemi, people can see Obafemi becoming the next big thing. And a big man like Obafemi cashing in on someone like Ilya Dragunov. And you just have Obafemi learn by experience the same way that we had Braun Breaker learn by experience. Him being in that main event spot. I'm just saying, that's just me and my personal opinion. Because if I was the winner of a breakout tournament and I could cash in on any championship that I felt like in NXT, I'm not going to do it for the secondary title. And again, I put a lot of respect on that North American championship. I'm just saying, I would want my name in the marquee as the main event. That's just me. But again, I respect what they're doing. They're having Obafemi do the route of the Carmelo Hayes, where we start you off in the North American championship picture. We have you do your business there, and then once we feel confident enough in you, then we put you off in the main event in the NXT championship picture, and we do that. Again, I respect it. I'm just nitpicking off of that little thing, but I'm happy for Obafemi, all in all, because everybody saw it when they see Obafemi. I saw it whenever he went against Oromensa, I believe it was last year, and my man looked different. He was big, and he was just rugged, and I was like, yo, who is this big guy? But again, everybody sees it. Everybody knows he's going to be a future world champion down the line in NXT and hopefully down in the line in WWE if he continues down this path. But we'll wait and see. But again, congratulations to Obafemi. And now it's your NXT Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now we head over to AEW Dynamite. Dynamite's episode would be their homecoming episode. This is their uh, fifth year. They're back at Daly's Place, their home 
when the pandemic was happening. So this had to be a big special show for the AEW roster. You got a whole lot of OG of um, AEW roster members on the card. We will start off with the crown jewel of AEW itself, Heyman Page, going against Claudio Castagnoli. They will have a great match to open up this homecoming edition of Dynamite. Uh, Heyman Page, he would win the match by hitting two buckshot lariats on Claudio Castagnoli. Um, during this match, it made me think of how many times they always put Hangman at the beginning of the show, whether it's on a Dynamite episode or even on the pay-per-view. The first thing that it reminded me of was whenever the pandemic was not over, but like during 2021, whenever AEW was starting to allow uh, people back into their venues. And the first place that they did it was Daly's Place in Double or Nothing. And uh, Hangman was going against Brian Cage. And Hangman and Brian Cage, they kind of stole the show. They had the crowd hyped up for the rest of the night. And that's what Hangman did here with Claudio Castagnoli. These two guys, they went out there. They scrapped. At one point in the match, you had Claudio literally dump Hangman Page onto the ramp that's like right next to the ring. So that made a hard thump. Uh, Claudio and Hangman Page, they had a nice fight outside of the ring, like around the ringside itself. Um, you will see Hangman hit a Hurricanrana off the second turnbuckle that led into the two buckshot lariats on Claudio. And again, great match to open up Dynamite for this homecoming uh, special that they had here, which will follow into um, them talking about Brody Lee. They mentioned how Brody Lee's whole AEW career was during the pandemic, during Daly's Place uh, venue, his whole legit time before his um, sudden passing, and which led us to the next matchup. It was the Brody Lee tribute matchup. You would get two of them, one for the men and one for the women. This one's the men. It's an eight-man tag. You will have Adam Copeland teaming up with Dustin Rhodes, Orange Cassidy, and Preston Vance going against the team of Lance Archer and the Mogul Embassies, Bishop Khan, Brian Cage, and Toa Leona. Um, again, another solid eight-man tag matchup here. Another match just that just was solid. Every man in this match played their role, but Preston Vance, he would get the win because he was Brody Lee's like chosen guy in the Dark Order. He would hit, I believe it was, what, Toa Leona with... No, it was Bishop Khan with the discus uh, lariat for the win. So he hits Khan with uh, Brody Lee's finish to win the match. And again, it was another... This was a tribute to Brody Lee. Um, they made it apparently known on commentary why Preston Vance was teaming up with Adam Copeland, Dustin Rhodes, and Arch Cassidy because Preston Vance, he is with uh, Roosh and his LFI guys. He's no longer with Dark Order. And the reason why is, as I said, Preston Vance, he teamed up. Well, he was handpicked by Brody Lee when Brody Lee was in AEW. So they wanted to give Preston Vance the spotlight here. And Preston Vance, he did what he had to do, but... More of the spotlight in this match came to Adam Copeland, who was able to uh, get his little stuff in, and Orange Cassidy. Those are the only two guys I feel that really were able to do something in this match from the good guy team. Preston Vance, he just basically gets the win. And I see that we got a like ceiling for Preston Vance. And I'm not saying that in a bad way. I'm saying that in a way as a viewer. You don't really get to see Preston Vance that much. Preston Vance, he's just like the background guy for Roosh. I think if Preston Vance did leave AEW and he would like to go out on the independence, do a uh, 
do a little stint on Impact and just get himself like shined up nicely, and then he probably comes back to AEW, or he might even go over to uh, NXT and get himself more polished up, and he can find out if he's really meant for this thing. Because again, Preston Vance, he just seems that he's at a standstill in AEW. I don't know what it is that somehow, some way, he's just not able to push through. Hopefully in 2024 he can, but I see this as being his last like legit year. Me personally, because I don't know how many times people can actually look into Preston Vance and say, okay, is he going to be the guy? When are they going to push him? When is he going to be the guy that everybody wanted him to be, especially the guy that they keep on saying, Brody Lee picked him, Brody Lee chose him. When you put that on someone, you got to make sure they at least get the chance to flourish. And Preston Vance, he just hasn't got that opportunity. So, again, I think this is his last, like, official year before everybody really, like, says, okay, Preston Vance, we get it, but, like, you hit your ceiling. But, again, that's just my personal uh, thought on that. Don't take it too personally. If Preston Vance does hear this or somebody else does clip this up, that's just my feeling on Preston Vance and AEW, at least for right now. They still got enough time to change it up. It's still 2024, but as of right now, that's just where it just lays at with Preston Vance. Now, after this, we will go backstage, and Bullet Club Gold is with Renee Paquette. You have Austin Gunn, Colton Gunn, Jay White, no Juice Robinson. He's still out at the time. They mentioned they're having their uh, problem with the Undisputed Kingdom, and then that's when the Eclaim would roll up. And again, you see the Eclaim kind of like making this pitch for them to be a faction, this group to take out the Undisputed Kingdom. And in that time, probably everybody... At the exact same time, Kerry Gold, you see Jay White, he's still trying to figure this out. This is a thing that he wants to actually go through with. You see Colton Gunn, he's on the same wavelength with Jay Austin. He's kind of on the opposite end. He's kind of wanting this thing to actually happen. So you see Jay White tell the acclaim, hey, keep your phones next to you guys and you'll get a ring from me if we actually do go through this thing. And you start seeing Jay pull the guns with them as they walk away. And if this faction does get made, you already hear uh, Anthony Bowen saying their name will be the Bang Bang Scissor Gang. Which, I think people will be making shirts out of that. People will love the faction because they already love the faction, what, two years ago when it was the guns and the acclaimed. People like that faction. So just adding Jay White to it will just be a little added extra. But why not? I mean, the Undisputed Kingdom, they're the big faction, the big, like, monsters leading, leading over AEW. Why not have another super group kind of try to, like, take them out? That would make sense. But, again, they we're in the story of it. We'll see what happens. Uh, after this, we get the AEW World Champion, Samoa Joe, coming down to the ring. He's suited and booted. And he did take care of that Burberry Championship. He's no longer carrying that. He's carrying the old-fashioned AEW Championship. But... With a simple modification, the little side plates is still there, but he has his name on the side plates now. So that's the little uh, fix that they did for the championship. So any new champion that carries the world championship will have their names on the side of the plate instead of like the little gold bar that has the names. So they go with the WWE route with this championship. And I got no beef with it because why not? You get your names bigger on the championship. So we have that here for Samoa Joe. Uh, Samojo would say they are making some changes to the championship uh, challenge protocol. He says there'll be no more whining on the microphones, no more making ho-ass comments on social media, 
And for people that are unaware, I think Samoa Joe is making the comments to the professional wrestlers that were constantly complaining on social media from time to time. I think Samoa Joe is tired of that. Samoa Joe is a guy that dislikes professional wrestling. He wants people just to get in there, do their business. He comes from that old school age. If you got a problem, you come up to me, you do something about it, or we talk it out like men instead of going online and bitching. So when he made that comment, I think he did that for the whole wrestling profession, no longer just his company, but everybody else. And he mentions how you need to bring a record and bring your representation, submit it to the championship committee. And if they get past that, then you step up to him and you'll have to face the consequences. So once Joe is saying all those protocols and he's done saying it, I will walk Sora Strickland with the Mogul Embassy in tow behind him. Uh, Swerve would say this is his first time in daily space, but he's making this Swerve's house. He will make the whole uh, crowd chant, whose house? They will reply, Swerve's house. Uh, he talks about handling Heyman Page, but he says that wasn't personal. He just wanted Heyman Page spot. So now he's going up to Samoa Joe, and he's letting Samoa Joe know this isn't personal. He just wants that title, and he's going to take it. Now, however, if Joe wants to make it personal, then they can do so. So you get Joe and Hangman, well... Not yet. Joe and Swerve getting face-to-face. Then Hangman Page would come out. Hangman Page would say that he's done a lot in 2023. He beat John Moxley in a Texas death match. He reunited with the Elite in Anarchy in the arena and Blood and Guts. And he was able to meet up with Swerve, but he was able to meet the real Swerve as Swerve was able to meet the real Hangman Page. Basically, they both took a part of each other's soul in their meeting. And he talks about how he's going to beat the crap out of Swerve because he wants that world championship. And he plans on making that world championship his in 2024. So you see Swerve and Heyman Page getting each other's face. Swerve's not happy about it. Nana will try to grab Swerve and try to get him out of the ring. Swerve would get out. Swerve would leave the ring with the Mogul Embassy. Then you see Page getting in Joe's face. And you just start seeing those two having words with each other before Hangman leaves the ring. Now, when Hangman leaves, Joe holds up the title in the air. Then they play Hook's music, and they did one little thing that I did like. Since they're in Daly's Place, they have, like, a banner up in the air, and Joe looks up at the banner, and you see a light hit, and it says Hook. It's almost like the bat signal, and even on commentary, they will say, looks like someone hit the Hook signal. So Hook will come out holding the FTW Championship. Hook will get in Samoa Joe's face. And he points at the World Championship, and he holds one finger up, and he tells Joe, you got one week. And the match will be official. Samoa Joe will be defending the AEW World Championship against Hook for the world title next week on Dynamite. Now, some backstory to this. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, Hook challenged Samoa Joe to a match, technically, or he let Samoa Joe know of his intention for that World Championship on last week's episode of Collision. So, Hook's following up on that right here in this moment and letting Samoa Joe know that he has one week, so that sets that up. And there was some little issues this previous uh, week where Tony Khan, he got into a little spat with the wrestling, I'll say with the wrestling community because uh, the USA Network, they happened to kind of comment on a Twitter person's uh, tweet about a situation with Seth Rollins and Jinder Mahal and USA Network would say, uh, did Cage Match have, what did Cage Match say something about it? And for people that don't know, 
Tony Khan, he has said that he looks at cage match. That's a place where you can look at where what people kind of rated shows. So if WWE had a show, the fans go up there to kind of rate how the show was from 1 to 10. Tony Khan does look at those type of things because he is a metric type of guy. So USA Network, they threw a shot at Tony Khan. Tony Khan, he takes offense to it because he's going to, because you're talking about a company that he puts money into. That's his company. That's his baby. That's his passion project. And uh, Tony just starts spazzing out. He gets on Twitter. He says uh, something to the effect of, okay, more victory for USA. You got Jinder Mahal fighting for a championship where Jinder Mahal hasn't won a match in a whole year. While we got Hook over here who's 28-1 and and he's going after the world championship. And he calls out the hypocrisy from the wrestling community because they're not upset at Jinder getting a title shot, but they're upset at Hook. So you get people coming out and start telling Tony to put the phone down, all this type of crap. And again, it's all the stuff that's been going on. That's the reason why I want to put some backstory to that. That's the reason why uh, I believe Samojo kind of made that comment by saying the whole ass comments on social media. I think that Samojo and Hook, they have a better story technically to me than uh, Seth Rollins and Jinder Mahal. I still think both matches next week are probably going to kill it. Because I think Seth and Jinder's going to do a good job. But I think Hook and Samoa Joe's probably going to do a gooder or better job. Because this is going to be Hook's first time being in a world championship position. And they can do two ways. Either one, they have Hook have a compelling uh, matchup with Samoa Joe. Which could work. Or they can just have Samoa Joe completely just murder Hook. And I think people will be upset, okay with that too. So again, AEW's in a win-win situation there. WWE, they got to really follow it up next week with Seth and Jinder. But I think that's going to happen, and I think that's going to work. But I wanted to put that into this review here because it makes a lot more sense talking about it here instead of it me talking about it on the Raw situation. But that's what's happening next week. Hook, Gordon, and Samoa Joe for the AEW World Championship. Now, getting off of that, back to the show. Uh, next matchup will be Ricky Starks going against Sammy Guevara. Sammy Guevara, he would win the match by pinfall, by hitting Ricky with a super kick and then getting him with a inside cradle pin for the win. Solid match between Ricky Starks and Sammy Guevara. Nothing really to uh, really talk about here between the two guys. This is just setting up for the tag team championship matchup that Big Bill and Ricky are having against Chris Jericho and Sammy at Battle of the Belts tonight, if you're listening to this episode on a Saturday. Um, so Sammy would win. Sammy would shake hands with Ricky Starks. Big Bill would attack Sammy from behind because it was all a setup. So you see a two-on-one beatdown, Starks and Bill beating up on Sammy until Chris Jericho comes out, make the save. All four guys are brawling outside of the ring, into the crowd, to the back, and then we'll go directly into the next match, which is the women's eight-man tag match, a tribute to Brody Lee. You have Anna J teaming up with Chris Statlander, Thunder Rosa, Willow Nightingale, going against the team of Julie Hart, Sky Blue, and the outcasts, Ruby Soho and Soraya, just like... Preston Vance, Anna Jay, villain usually, but she's teaming up with the good guys because she was a part of Dark Order. She was another handpicked uh, person by Brody Lee. So we got to give her a spotlight here. And she would get the win for her team by locking in the Queen Slater on uh, Sky Blue to make Sky Blue tap out. And this gives Anna Jay a championship matchup for the TBS title against Julie Hart at Battle of the Belts again tonight if you're listening to this on a Saturday. So that's what this matchup was all about. No more, no less. But also, 
you still get the continuation of Chris Statlander kind of being pursued by Stokely Hathaway because Stokely wants to manage Chris Statlander to kind of take her to the next spot. Will it happen? I can see it happening. Why not? Uh, right now, Stokely kind of has a crush on Chris. I like this stupid storyline that they're going with. Again, it gives Stokely something to do because Stokely's an entertaining guy, but also whenever he's always managing someone, he's a great manager at the exact same time. So I think him being managed up with Chris Stanlander, it will do good for Chris and it will do good for Stokely. But again, we'll wait and see what happens with that. Next matchup, we'll have Brian Keith going against Roderick Strong. Roderick Strong would be out here with his undisputed kingdom buddies, Warlow, the Ring of Honor Tag Team Champions, the Kingdom, and the Devil himself, Adam Cole. Roderick Strong and Brian Keith, they will have a good match, but Roderick Strong would win the match with end of heartache on Brian Keith. Brian Keith is another guy who... Been with AEW for, I'll say, at least a month or two. And it seems that he hasn't had a contract with AEW. I mentioned this about Queen Amanita. I'm sorry if I'm butchering her name, but she was the woman that went against Sky Blue, I believe, a couple weeks ago, or if not a couple weeks, last week on, I believe it was, what, Dynamite? But she went against Sky Blue, but apparently Queen Amanita, she has a contract. She signed a contract with AEW, so she's a part of AEW roster. Maybe Brian Keith, he is a part of AEW roster. They just haven't, like, announced it. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. He still might be going this through this whole tryout period with AEW. Brian Keith, he's a good guy. People like Brian Keith. People like what he's able to do. He had a great match with Roger Strong for the time limit that they did have. But, again, Brian Keith is one of those guys who I feel that might need a contract, might get a contract from AEW. I hope he does, but we'll wait and see with that. But uh, Roger Strong, he gets the win here. After the match, you get the Undisputed Kingdom Getting in the ring, Adam Cole, since he is the devil, he is the leader of the kingdom, he speaks on their behalf, and again, he goes through their mission statement. He talks about how Roderick Strong, he's a 20-year vet, how he's one of the best professional wrestlers, bell to bell, in the world, and he says that, and he looks into the camera, so I think that we might get a Roderick Strong going against a Brian Danielson match somewhere down the line here. But he does mention how Orange Cassidy is on borrowed time for the... Uh, international championship because Roddy's going after it we get that he talks of the uh the kingdom saying they're the greatest ROH tag team champions and they're the current tag team champions of ring of honor and how they never gotten the respect that they deserve and how they're going to take that and then he talks about Warlow a big juggernaut uh powerhouse and how he's around a group of guys that respects him and supports him and how we are going to win the world championship. And when he says we, you know he's talking about himself and Warlow because he's still sticking to the plan of when he gets better and Warlow is the world champion, Warlow will hand the title off to him. And I found it completely funny as Adam Cole's doing all this talking. You look at everybody in the back behind him, Matt Taven, uh, Mike Bennett, Roderick Strong, they're all uh, paying attention to what Adam is saying. While Warlow, he's the guy that's kind of like, not paying attention, he's like drifted off in the clouds, I think Warlow knows the plan, I think Warlow knows what he's really there for with the Undisputed Kingdom, and I think that with Warlow's place and with Warlow's facial expressions, you know that this isn't going to last for Warlow, Warlow isn't trying to hear none of this, Warlow isn't really into this, but he's just doing it until he gets what he wants out of it, so I like, I hope that whenever they do run this back, because somebody's going to bring it up to Adam's attention. Somebody is. 
they look back at the footage and then they start questioning Warlow. And then you can see what they could do with Warlow and the rest of the Undisputed Kingdom. Will they kick him out? Will they beat him up? Will they bring in another heavy? I don't know. But it's going to be interesting because somebody in the Undisputed Kingdom is going to pick up on that. Uh, when Adam's done talking all that, he says that uh, everybody needs to welcome their new kingdom and make sure that everybody gets real comfortable because they're going to be here for a very long time. And that's the end of this holding of court in the middle of the ring. So the Undisputed Kingdom, again, they presented their reason why they're here, why they're going to run over AEW, blah, blah. Now, we go to the main event. We get a tornado tag match. We get Darby Allin and Sting going against the Doghouse families, uh, Konosuke Takeshita and Powerhouse Hobbs. Sting and Darby Allin would win the match by pinfall when Sting would hit Powerhouse Hobbs with a scorpion uh, death drop off of... I want to say the stage through two tables and he covers powerhouse Hobbs to win the match. Um, chaotic way to end dynamite here. You had Sting and Darby going against powerhouse Hobbs and Kenosuke Takeshita. They fought around everywhere, uh, into the crowd, around the ring, up on the stage. And as I said, smashed through, uh, two tables. It was real chaotic, especially with the age that Sting is. Sting, he's on his... Basically, he's a retirement tour right now. He wants to go balls to the walls everywhere that he goes. And that's what they gave Sting the ability to do here with this tag match. Darby, he's still getting, like, thrown around like a rag doll here. And Kadosuke Takeshita, I think they have big plans for him in 2024. In Powerhouse Hobbs, he was just basically the muscle in this matchup here. So, that's what you got for Dynamite in the main event. After that, you get Tony Schiavone getting in the ring. You have Sting, Darby... Uh, Ric Flair there with Sting and Tony Schiavone would ask Sting, has he thought of who his final opponent will be at Revolution? And before Sting could answer it, you would get the return of the Young Bucks. Young Bucks will come out on the stage and you get a real different, like, look at the Young Bucks. You see them with their beard shaved off. You see them just with a mustache. And you see Matt Jackson wearing an all-black suit. You see Nick Jackson wearing an all-white suit. And you see them just staring at Sting and Darby as Dynamite will go off. And that's how Dynamite will go off. Now, I like that the Young Bucks came back wearing the two different suits. Because I think online, they're playing up to this even on television. When you look at the Young Bucks, the Young Bucks have been a loved tag team for so long. But for the last, I'll say, what, two, three years, the Young Bucks have been getting hate. And I say they get hate more on the Matt Jackson side. Nick Jackson is more beloved by the people. People love Nick Jackson. People have no problem with Nick Jackson. Matt Jackson, he's more the talkative out of the two. He's the guy that will uh, make the challenges or do whatever and say something. Nick Jackson, he's more of the I'll follow Matt type situation here. And that's the reason why I think people don't like Matt. Same thing when Matt Hardy. I thought about this for some weeks now. Matt Jackson and Matt Hardy are the two guys that are in the brother tag teams that do not get liked by the wrestling uh, community like that. Jeff Hardy and Nick Jackson, two of the guys that are able to do Whatever they want in the middle of the ring, whether it be high-flying, uh, striking, whatever they want in that ring, fans will love it and eat it up 
Matt Jackson, Matt Hardy, they don't get that love like that. I don't know what it is. It's just something there. I don't, I can't really pinpoint it. It's probably because of the talking business. I don't know. But I like how they might be pulling up on that with AEW Dynamite here, especially, as I said, with Nick Jackson wearing the white suit, Matt Jackson wearing the black suit. It's just something to think about as we're moving towards whatever they're going to be doing next week on Dynamite. So we got to wait and see what they do with that. And again, I like what they're doing as a whole with AEW Dynamite. You got the Undisputed Kingdom having their business right there. You got the idea of the Bullet Club Gold uh, joining together with the Acclaim as a possible super group. We got that on the table. We have uh, Samoa Joe just being the king of AEW with the World Championship. And he got challengers coming out every way and just going after him. And I like that. And I like what they're doing with everything right now with Dynamite. So, again, Dynamite was a good episode, and uh, that's your AEW Dynamite Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now we move over to SmackDown, and SmackDown would open up with them uh, doing a video package of what happened last week in the main event, which was supposed to be Randy Orton, AJ Styles, LA Knight, Triple Threat, to see who's going to face Roman Reigns at the Royal Rumble, which the bloodline cost, and you had Roman Reigns and the bloodline standing over all three competitors, and it had Nick Aldis telling Paul Heyman to alert Roman that at the Royal Rumble he'd be facing all three of those guys in a fatal four-way match. So when that video package is done playing, you see on the entrance ramp uh, Cameron Grimes being attacked by Solo Sokoa and Jimmy Uso. Cameron Grimes was supposed to have a match with Grayson Waller, who was in the ring with Austin Theory just watching the beatdown. And after the bloodline got done beating down Cameron Grimes, you see them start moving towards the ring. Austin Theory and Grace Waller, they knew they're cute. They got out of the ring, so no harm, no foul. So in the middle of the ring, you saw Paul Heyman, Sosako, and Jimmy Uso. No Roman Reigns here. Paul would get a microphone, and he would say that the match that you guys were supposed to happen didn't happen all because of Nick Aldis. The bloodline isn't the bad guys here. Nick Aldis is. He's the guy that put Roman Reigns in a fatal four-way match at the Royal Rumble. So you get Paul Heyman start just throwing smut onto Nick Aldis' name, saying everything's his fault. Nick Aldis, he would be out here. He would get the microphone away from Paul, and he would just tell Paul, listen, my decisions is not of two guys of equal footings talking with one another. And he's talking about how Paul used to talk with Adam Pearce to get things done and get things changed in the favor of Roman Reigns. Nick Aldis is here to make a change. He's not here to work with or for Paul. Paul and Roman work for Nick Aldis since Nick is the general manager. Nick would tell Paul that and he would also tell Paul that, you know what? The bloodline is not going to ruin another match. Not tonight. Because in the main event, we will have LA Knight, Randy Orton, and AJ Styles going against Solo Sokoa, Jimmy Uso, and Roman Reigns. Now, Paul will look at Nick and tell Nick, you know, as well as I know, Roman Reigns isn't here tonight. Nick, with a sarcastic little snicker on his face, would say, you know what, you're right. So, here's what I give you. You have until the end of the night to find a third man to team up with your guys, because if not... It'll just be a three-on-two handicap match. So, throughout the night, periodically, we would get backstage uh, segments with Paul Heyman trying to get people to team up with his guys. And 
as we all know, nobody in that SmackDown locker room likes the Bloodline because the Bloodline has been running roughshod on that locker room for a good solid uh, three and some odd months. Well, three years and some odd months. So it was a real hard night for Paul to find anybody to really uh, team up with his guys. So I'll get more into that when the main event comes around. So once this segment is done, we would get to our first match of the night. It'll be Angel Garza and Humberto Carrillo going against LWO's Cruz del Toro and Joaquin Wilde. In their corner, they will have Selena Vega, while Santos Escobar, he will be on commentary for this. Um, Angel Garza and Humberto, they would win this match by pitfall when Angel would get Joaquin Wilde in a pinning uh, predicament and hold the ropes for leverage to win the match, so they won by Dirty Tactics. Um, towards the end of the match, you had Carlito come out and attack Santos Escobar from behind, and you saw the fight from ringside into the crowd to the back. Uh, but this still gives Santos and his boys some, I would say, some bragging rights over LWO because they beat LWO here. They beat them by dirty tactics, but in the win columns, Santos and this guy has got a win over uh, LWO. And it was a nice tag match up here. You got a lot of Lucha Libre mixing up here, and I like that. Uh, how we got to start off with um, this tag matchup. So I like this. Hopefully, whenever they do the whole th- six man uh, business, we can get some type of we can get some type of uh, lucha libre type of ruling for this. Some type of stipulation, probably a hair versus hair type business, something like that. Because I would like to see them actually incorporate uh, lucha libre tradition into this. If Legato still had their mask, meaning Angel, Humberto, and even Santos had a mask, I would like to see a hair versus mask situation. Or maybe when Ray comes back, we could get a hair versus mask, Santos versus Ray, hair versus mask situation. I'm hoping that they incorporate something like that in this whole storyline with Santos betraying LWO. That's what I am hoping for. But that's just my thought on that. Um, after this, we would get a backstage segment of Nick Aldis being in his office, and you see NXT superstar Carmelo Hayes in his office. Carmelo is here. He talks about how he wants to enter the Royal Rumble before he can get that whole sentence out of his mouth. You see Grayson Waller and Austin Theory interrupt. Melo would say that he's sick and tired of Grayson Waller, and he's tired of just seeing those guys run their mouth, and he's willing to beat up Grayson Waller yet again. Grayson would say, dude, I just got done wrestling, which he didn't, and I got to calm myself down. But Austin Theory here, he could take you on. Austin Theory, he will look kind of like, are you serious? You pointing at me? But then Austin Theory would say, yeah, fine. So we would get Austin Theory going against Carmelo Hayes later in the night. Now, after this, we would get Bailey going against Bianca Belair. Uh, Bailey would have damage control in her corner, but damage control would not help Bailey at all. Bianca Belair would win the match by pinfall, but hitting the KOD in the middle of the ring. And I found this very interesting how we're still continuing with damage control, really letting Bailey know they really don't rock with her like that. And you see Dakota Kai kind of like trying to smooth it over for Bailey because there was a moment in the match where Bailey was grabbing at the referee to look at her knee. And Bianca Belair is outside the ring on the ground. And you just see Bailey kind of like nudge over her head to damage control to attack Bianca Belair. But they don't do so. They just stand there and they just look at Bianca. Usually, for people that don't know, this is a wrestling trope 
whenever a good guy is outside the ring, down and out, a bad guy has a stable or a group with them, and they're outside the ring, the bad guy would grab the referee and try to distract him while his group, his or her group, would beat up on the good guy outside. That didn't happen here. So again, we're still continuing the story of damage control, kind of letting Bailey know that they don't rock with her. And again, we're moving into the Rumble. You see Dakota Kai trying to tell her that, hey, everything's going to be all right. Everything's going to be okay. We thought that you just probably wanted to do this on your own since you're going to be in the Royal Rumble on your own. And you see that's kind of a way to kind of patronize Bailey and try to calm her down. And it kind of works because Bailey does soothe down and kind of like gets what they're trying to do. But again, you can just see the manipulation game right there. When Damage Control is going to turn on Bailey, I don't know. I can't wait to see it because I want to see a good uh, person of Bailey back. I do because I think WWE under Vince McMahon's reign uh, kind of squandered Bailey. She was literally supposed to be the female John Cena selling merchandise and everything when she came up from NXT, but that kind of got squandered. So I would like to see what this new version of Bailey being a good person is going to look like when it actually does happen. So. Again, I like the story. I like the way they're doing it and like the way they're telling it. I just can't wait for the actual portrayal to actually come about. Um, There was something I forgot to mention, too. There would be a video package of Pete Dunne and Tyler Bate meeting up in a coffee shop. A long story, less long of this, is that Tyler Bate is trying to get uh, Butch Pete Dunne back to knowing his real true self because Butch would mention how the Brawling Brutes is in the past. Um... He doesn't want to team up with Tyler Bate. Tyler Bate's trying to get him to team up with him because now they can actually be British strong style. They can show what they can do on the main roster. But once Butch tells Tyler Bate, nah, I'm all good off that, Tyler Bate will try to light the fire under Butch. As I said before, try to get him to know, okay, who are you? You lost yourself when you got up to the main roster. You got to figure out who you are. So as you see him talking, you can just see Butch start looking and just looking far off into the distance and Tyler Bate would hit like a line saying who are you who is the real you and you just see Butch just look off and they just really pan in on his face and before he could say anything it just fades to black so I think we're going to revert back from Butch to Tyler Bate something that everybody's been wanting something that everybody's been clamoring for that's cool that's great I just hope today continue uh, letting Tyler Bate and Pete Dunne be the people who they're meant to be. Tyler Bate be this feng shui guy and Pete Dunne get back to being that legit bruiserweight, being the nasty uh, guy that he was when he came into WWE when he went against Tyler Bate for the WWE UK Championship. That's what I'm hoping for, but we'll wait and see about that. Um, after this, we get Bobby Lashley and the Street Profits. They'll make their way down to the ringside. No uh, fireworks, no none of that. They come down straight to business. Bobby will get a microphone, and he talks about how they're here to have a fight, and they're ready for a fight. So they call out Karrion Cross and the Authors of Pain. But instead of Authors of Pain and Karrion Cross coming out, you would see Paul Ellering come out. Paul Ellering will come out. He'll stand on the stage. He'll point towards the Titantron. And on the Titantron, you'll get a video package from Karrion Cross. And Karen Cross will talk real, real cryptic, but long story less long. He's here to say that, well, the Street Profits and Bobby Lashley, they're going to get what they want, but just probably not right now. But he would give his group name 
and it's the final testament. So the final testament consists of Karen Cross, Authors of Pain, Scarlet, and Paul Ellering. And that's cool. I'm glad that, as I said before last week, Karen Cross, he got this group with him. Hopefully they do something with him. It just seems that things under the Vince McMahon reign, it just didn't seem well. Karrion Cross, he did not fit well at all. He did terribly under the Vince McMahon reign. And I'll say the same thing, technically for Authors of Pain. You thought that we were going to get a good Authors of Pain situation when they were with Seth, but then the pandemic happened. And I just don't know what happened with Authors of Pain in WWE during the pandemic. You would think once the world started opening up, you would get them in here. But nah, you waited another, what, four years to get them back? But hey, they're back here. They're with cross there as a group so hopefully this group gets to do something and also Bobby Lashley and the Street Profits they're back to being good guys now so hopefully they get to uh shine and we get something from them now off of this we will get the matchup of Carmelo Hayes going against Austin Theory Grayson Waller will be in Theory's corner this match would get called off and be held a no contest because for the second week in a row we will be getting a referee calling it off because of a move gone wrong um, Austin Theory, he would hit low main pain, which for people that don't know is whenever your opponent is sitting up on the top turnbuckle, you hit a springboard, you catch them, and you hit a Spanish fly off the top turnbuckle. Now, when Austin Theory did do this, you saw, I will say if you would do it frame by frame, at least from my vision, you saw how, um, uh, Carmelo Hayes' head clicked Theory's jaw. And whenever uh, Theory's head hit the mat, it kind of bounced off. And the referee kind of looked at Theory, looked at Melo. And I think Theory caught the worst of it. And that's when the referee would call it off. So the referee calls off the match. And again, this is the second week in a row. Last week it was Kofi uh, drop kicking Giovanni Vinci in the head. And that kind of set Giovanni Vinci down. And that's when the referee had to call it off. So this is, again, second time in a row. Second time in a week, actually. Uh, so, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm glad they're doing this whole thing, making sure that the wrestlers are safe. I like that they're doing that, but I don't know something internally what WWE is going to do as a company. What type of list, what type of moves on a set list paper that you can't do, or you're going to have to do mad multiple times before they allow you to do it on television. Like the shooting star press at one point, it wasn't allowed. Like, that was a legit thing, and uh, Matt Seidel, formerly known as Evan Bourne, he was the guy that brought the Shooting Star Press back whenever he went to WWE, what, in 20, 2009, 2010? So, again, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what type of talks going to happen inside the company. Things happen on accident, but, again, this is the second time within legit two weeks something happened, so... I don't know what's going to go down. I hope that Theory and Miller are both okay. That's all I do truly care for. Now, we go off to the main event. AJ Styles, LA Knight, Randy Orton going against Jimmy Uso and Sosakoa. Handicap match. But before the handicap match would actually happen, Sosakoa and Jimmy, they could not get no third person because, as I said, nobody wanted to team with them. So, Solo and Jimmy attack Randy Orton when he made his way down to the ring side area. You would see Solo and Jimmy attack him. Jimmy would put the boost to Randy while Solo would uh, give Randy the small spike. And this would take Randy out for, I'll say about a good 90% of the match. 
So it became a legit tag team matchup of AJ and LA Knight going against Jimmy and Solo. And towards the end of the match, you got some dissension more on AJ's side than LA Knight's side because AJ thought that LA Knight was trying to screw him over at one point in the match. And LA was trying to get a tag in from AJ Styles and AJ just didn't want to tag him in. So you see Jimmy take this opportunity. He runs over, super kicks LA Knight. You see Solo and Jimmy put the boost to AJ. Randy Orton, he would come back to the ring to make the save. AJ would tag uh, Randy in. Randy would do his moves onto Jimmy and Solo. And you see Randy hit Jimmy with a RKO to win the match for his team. Now, after the match, Solo would attack Randy from behind. Uh, AJ, he would hit Solo with a phenomenal forearm. LA Knight would get in the ring. He would have some words with AJ before he looks at Solo and hits him with the BFT. And again, you see LA Knight and AJ just talking towards one another. Randy, he would get up, kind of like being the calm guy, just look at LA Knight and AJ. And Solo, who hasn't went down yet, Randy would look over at Solo, hit him with an RKO, and put Solo down. Now, you see all three of the guys standing up in the ring. They leave the ring to attack Solo and Jimmy some more. You see them clear off the commentary table. Randy Orton, he would grab the steps. Uh, AJ, he would throw Jimmy towards Randy, and Jimmy would hit, well, get hit with the steps by Randy. And then you see Randy and AJ lift up Solo, put him on the shoulders of LA Knight, and you will see those three guys hit the shield powerbomb on Solosakoa through the commentary table. And that's how SmackDown will end when Randy kind of bringing LA Knight and AJ together, telling them, hey, we need to work together to take down the bloodline. So that's how SmackDown will end. And I like the way that it ended SmackDown because it sets it up for next week where you get the contract signing between all four guys, Knight, Styles, uh, Orton, and Roman Reigns next week for their match at the Royal Rumble. And I think Roman's going to have some piece of business and piece of words for those three guys, especially with them putting down his uh, cousins and them specifically using the Shield Powerbomb, which Roman Reigns holds that real sacred towards him. He holds that real, real covet because the Shield is a special part in his life. He doesn't like to really bring it up, but he doesn't like to really forget that either. So when they did that, that's kind of a thing that I think Roman's going to hold on to next week. And I think Roman's going to try to, I think he's going to try to really hurt them next week. If I'm going to be completely honest, I think he's going to really try to hurt those guys, at least in character wise, you know what I mean? So Smando ends. I like the way it ended. It just brings me uh, joy to see them continuing on with the story. And again, it puts a big question mark of who's going to win at Royal Rumble. Will it be Roman? Will it be AJ? Will it be uh, LA Knight? Or will it be Randy Orton? So, we got to wait and see for that to happen uh, at the Royal Rumble, but I can't wait to see what happens next week on uh, SmackDown. So with that, that's your SmackDown Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now, moving over to AEW Rampage. Rampage will open up with the Continental Crown Championship being defended by Eddie Kingston. Going against the Ring of Honor Pure Champion, Willie Uta. Kingston would retain his championship by pinfall when he would hit the, I believe they would like to call it the Northern Suplex, well, Northern Lights Bomb. Not a Northern Lights Suplex. It's a different move, but better known as the Snowplow. So Eddie Kingston would beat Willie Uta to retain his championship. Solid match between Uta and Kingston. Again, Kingston just won a title. Nobody expects him to lose that, especially to Willie Uta, at least at this time. Um, So Kingston retaining wasn't shocking. 
Next up, we had Swerve Strickland going against Matt Seidel. Swerve Strickland would win the match by hitting the JML driver onto Matt Seidel to win by pinfall. No help from Prince Nana in this matchup. So Swerve beat uh, Matt Seidel cleanup. And again, Swerve here he gave his attention knowing to Samoa Joe on Dynamite, how he's going in after that world championship. And he already made the championship hand gesture after he beat Seidel here. So again, just further proving while Swerve is more than likely the next guy up, but he first he has to get past uh, Hangman Page. Next up, we had Hukaru Shida going against Queen Amanada. Shida would beat Amanada by pinfall by hitting the katana, which is a revolving uh, knee strike to the head to win the match. This was a solid one-on-one matchup between Amanada and Shida. Again, I said earlier in the program, Amanada has been reported signed by AEW, so I'm glad for her to be signed, and also her having a great match with Sheeta, that was kind of given, Sheeta's been like one of the stalwarts for the AEW Women's Division that will put on good matches whenever she's having a good competitor she could go against, so Sheeta doing this with Amanada wasn't bad, there was a point in this matchup where those two would just trade strikes, like kick strikes straight to the back, and that's one thing I can't do, that's one thing I would never understand. I get it is the they want to take the Japanese wrestling over there and bring it over here to the Western audience, and I get it. But the kicks to the back, I kind of shudder at that because, dude, I couldn't do no kicks. Just allow somebody just straight to just kick me directly in the back. Those ladies did. Again, I got a lot of heart, a lot of respect for all the wrestlers that do everything they do in the ring. But, God, just to see them just kicking one another, and then whenever it's Abinata's turn to just receive the kicks... Sheeta would accidentally kick Amanada like up in the shoulder blade area close to the head. And that looked nasty at that point too. So again, a lot of respect, a lot of love for every professional wrestler. But these two ladies, they had a solid one-on-one matchup between one another. Um, after this, we get to the main event, trios matchup. We have the Dark Orders, Evo Uno, Alex Reynolds, John Silver, going against Daddy Magic, Matt Bernard, Cool Hand, Angelo Parker, and Jake Hager. Dark Order would win the match by pinfall when Alex Reynolds and John Silver would hit a combination of moves on Jake Hager to get him in a pinfall to win the matchup for Dark Order. Now, what I forgot to mention here is that this was their homecoming edition of Rampage here. They're still in Jacksonville, and Dark Order did bring out negative one. Negative one for people that do not know. This is Brody Lee's son. Brody Lee's uh, son has been with at least a part of the Dark Order since 2020, being negative one. So him being here, it was not shocking. He always likes the Dark Order. He's been with them periodically from time to time whenever they want to just show him up on television. So this is kind of a four-bygone conclusion that the Dark Order was going to win over uh, Matt Menard, Parker, and Hager. But it was still a good feeling, and I want to say this. Dark Order, I feel they need to be rebranded. They need to get some wins. I hope Tony Khan's able to bring uh, Hangman Page back to association with the Dark Order. Or get the Dark Order a more violent uh, side of them. I feel the Dark Order was one of the groups that AEW did have at the beginning of their whole promotion. And they want to start kicking up. With the COVID time in 2020, when Brody Lee became the exalted one, he became their guy. 
they had a time for them like okay we might maybe have the dark order start being this big uh vicious faction that we want them to be but they were brutally passed you know they had to do a somber note they had to uh reschedule that and then whenever they start teaming up with hangman page it seemed like they turned their luck around they started to move around they started to actually become a legit force in aew at least with hangman page but now since hangman page is no longer with at least the association of dark order it just all went downhill yet again so again with it being 2024 how the Dark Order win the trio championships, which again I feel that they should have been the first ever trio champions, not the elite. Um, but have this year be the year of kind of like restarting some of your projects that you did at the beginning when you started this company in 2019. Let this be the year for a restart, as we already seen with Private Party, we're restarting them. They're a team, they're away from the Hardys. Uh Dark Order, I hope they do a restart with them. And some other people, they're already restarting as well. But that's what I'm hoping for. Didn't mean to get off on the diatribe of that, but that was your AEW Rampage uh, Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Is there anything else I want to talk about? I don't think so. It's time for me to give a little bit of self-promotion. Um, if you did not listen to the Midweek Breakdown, it's available to you right now. It's when I talk to you guys for 10 to 15 minutes about any and everything. And then I play you guys out with a song of the week. So that's available to you right now. And also my last Sunday's episode, Bang, is available to you. But if you don't want to listen to that, have no fear. Tomorrow, I will be talking to you guys about new things that's went on in the world. Uh, whether it be news, stuff, and sports. Because there's a lot of things in sports that went down this past week. Um, but I'll be talking about that all tomorrow on Sunday's episode. But with that, I think that's it. So with that being said, this has been your Wrestling Highlights of the Week, presented by uh, My Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. He's I and I am him. I love you guys. I hope you guys have a great Saturday for the people that are up in the Northeast. I hope you guys are able to uh, find some warmth because, to my knowledge, it's supposed to be cold up there. You guys are supposed to be dealing with some type of cold force. So I hope you guys are able to find some warmth and stay uh, warm as best you can. So with that being said, I love you guys. You'll hear from me later. Have a great rest of your day.